Welcome to Midweek in the Word, where each week we seek to become better readers, hearers, and doers of God's Word. This podcast is brought to you by Faith Bible Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Now, here is your host, Faith Bible Church's Adult Ministries Pastor, Pastor Brad Myers. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to Midweek in the Word. Thanks for tuning in for another episode and for taking the time out of your weeks to join us. I'm glad you're here with us this week as we will be picking up the remainder of our conversation with Brad Orta, a Country Bible's associate pastor. We started that interview two weeks ago on the topic, the doctrine of election. Hopefully you listened in to the first part of that. Then we took a week off to talk to Tim Grease, our facilities director, and hear a little bit about that ministry and what it means to be the facilities director here at Faith Bible Church. Now this week, we're going to be picking up the rest of that interview. We're going to be finishing part two of the doctrine of election. What does the Bible say about election uh, with Brad Orta from Country Bible? Uh, But before we get to that episode and before I play the rest of that episode, let me just remind you uh, where we're at in our church series. Uh, This last Sunday, we wrapped up our Dear Church sermon series um, by talking about specifically how the letters to the seven churches relate to us as the eighth church and and, uh, how that letter is relevant to us as a first century or a 21st century church in Lincoln, Nebraska, that is. Uh, So we wrap that series up and we're getting ready for Hebrews next week. Uh, If you missed that message, let me just remind you, you can always find those messages on our website. Just go to faithbiblelincoln.org and just hit the resources tab, go down to the podcast button, and you can find any of those sermons that you've missed, or you can follow our sermons series podcast by searching for Faith Bible Church Lincoln, Nebraska, and just selecting the podcast with the black background and the white letters, wherever you find your podcast, wherever you can find that. Um, Now, like I said, two weeks ago, we began a conversation on the doctrine of election. Brad kind of rolled into that subject. He, he talked about what this doctrine is. He talked about how we defined it. He talked about where we find it in Scripture. And he began talking about where the issues are, where the challenges are within orthodoxy in this area. So we're going to finish the conversation by talking about what is outside of the bounds, what's heretical related to this doctrine, and how it's relevant for our lives. So if you haven't listened to the first part of this interview, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to the episode two weeks ago uh, so that you have a little bit of context to understand where this is going. And uh, then this will be the second part of that interview. So we do hope it's helpful to you. And uh, here is part two of that interview with Brad. Okay, well, let me, let me attempt to try and, try and then take this uh, to the next level and, and ask some of the, the, the common questions and, and allow you to hopefully uh, provide some clarity on this. What, what, what does a person say um, if they're wrestling with this reality and they find themselves going, well, uh, to believe in election then, to believe in God's choice beforehand, essentially means we have to subscribe to, um, uh, um, uh, not the right, material is the right, isn't the wrong word, but a, okay. a fatalistic worldview or sure. a everything is predetermined, nothing has significance. How do we respond to a question like that? Absolutely. I, I think uh, maybe part of the reason there's so much tension is uh, we're, we're sort of starting with uh, two different things that are both biblical priorities mm. and trying to put them together. Uh, on the one hand, the Bible is absolutely clear that uh, I am morally responsible for every decision that I make. And, uh, you know, wrestling through, like, how does the will operate and 
Uh, how can I be morally responsible for the decisions that I make? Well, in some sense, they have to be choices that I'm freely making. Yep. But at the same time, God is uh, absolutely presented as utterly sovereign in Scripture. And so how do I fit together God's sovereignty and man's moral responsibility? And I think uh, it's important if a person's thinking about, uh, you know, what Scripture says about election, that they don't ever resolve that tension Fully, in a yeah. way that would result in fatalism. Uh, essentially, fatalism, I think, is is stripping away the moral responsibility emphasis of Scripture and uh, acting as though like we're uh, mechanical or that our choices don't have any... Uh, any real meaning, uh, and absolutely that's not the case. Scripture is abundantly clear that we're responsible for every decision that we make. Hmm. In some ways, it 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 really is kind of in line with what the reason we're asking this question is to recognize there are other, other believers that don't agree with us on every nuance of Scripture, and yet they are believers, they are brothers and sisters in Christ, and there's reasons that they believe what they believe, and there's reasons their positions aren't heretical, but they're within orthodoxy. In some ways, the way I've seen this fleshed itself out within people relationships specifically is it tends to be kind of a straw man argument. You know, the, those that would be Calvinists would look at the Arminians and say, well, you believe this. You know, you don't believe in God's sovereignty, for instance. And that's, that's not really, the, that's not a true statement. You know, Arminians on the other side would look at the Calvinists and say, you don't believe in free will, you know, and both are attempting to wrestle with both realities. And so they kind of end up shooting shots at the straw men rather than having a real conversation about the points of the issue. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, as with any of the other topics <laughs> you talk about, like our responsibility is... Uh, you know, we're not of Paul, we're not of Apollos. Uh, our responsibility is to submit ourselves to Scripture. Amen. What does Scripture say? And, uh, you know, I might think that I have a pretty good idea of what Scripture says about this question, but Lord willing, I don't understand it as well as I will a month from now or a year from now, that we are people who are, you know, semper reformata. We're, yep. we're people who are always reforming. I'm always trying to refine my understanding of who God is and what his purpose is for my life and how scripture informs every aspect of my understanding about the world. Hmm. And so rather than uh, imagining us versus them, all I'd understand is people are just trying to submit to the word of God and uh, allow its truth to reveal itself to us by God's spirit. Hmm. Which really speaks to probably the core issue at play here is, you know, are all of us, regardless of our preconceived notions, regardless of the theology that we we bring into this discussion, are we submitting that theology first and foremost to the Word of God and allowing that to challenge and refine what we're saying? If we're in either camp and we find ourselves saying, no, our theology comes first and we read the text always through that lens, we're in error, as opposed to saying we read the text, and we have to. That has to relate to our theology, our framework for understanding Scripture. But the important thing is Scripture first and foremost. Yeah, absolutely. I began my Christian life at a little bit older age, and uh, you know, wrestling with the truths that I was beginning to understand, wrestling with the fact that I had unbelieving family members. Uh, I couldn't imagine how anything like election could possibly be true, but I was also very unfamiliar with Scripture. <laughs> sure. uh, 
And I, I think that when I think back to that time, I can remember a time where, like, even debating this issue as a mm. high school guy, like, with a Calvinist would make me upset. I couldn't imagine yeah. how somebody could believe that because, you know, I couldn't talk about the issue without thinking of the faces of people that I cared about. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, as I became more familiar with Scripture, recognizing that there was a difference between what I felt was true and what Scripture was saying. Mm. And, you know, for me personally, the my uh, trajectory in thinking about these questions uh, has largely been just submitting my conscience to the Word of God mm. and uh, you know, resolving that I was going to believe what the Bible said and not what I wished were true. Yep. Amen. Amen. And then very similar experience for me as I at one point couldn't possibly believe being in a different position on this. And the, the, the weight of Scripture, ultimately, I said, I, you know, God, I don't understand all of this. I don't understand how it all works out, and it still confuses me. <laughs> but your word says, and I have to ad- admit to that and obey that. And I was incredibly reluctant at first, and I, I couldn't perceive any possible benefit for uh, thinking that God could elect some unto salvation. But the the longer I've uh, understood that to be what the Bible says, the more and more I've realized real benefits uh, to election, that in fact it is a cause for praise. Amen. And that's that's how Paul uses it, but that probably comes up more how this impacts our lives. Later question. Sure. Let's move here. Okay, so you've talked about, okay, so there's this tension, there's this continuum within the bounds of orthodoxy mm-hmm. that believers wrestle back and forth, um, though obviously there has to be some consistent theology that we adopt. What about getting outside the bounds? Let's, let's talk more about heresies now here, because you've said you can fall off on either side here, and we've said that about a number of doctrines. You can go into the ditch on either side of the road. Uh, what are the heresies we need to be mindful of in this area? Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think there are extremes on either side that, uh, Lord forbid, we fall into yeah. either one. Uh, I'm the first, uh, and probably less common, but in some ways perhaps more pernicious, uh, would commonly be called something like hyper-Calvinism, uh, or uh, sometimes we'll talk about it as uh, equal ultimacy even, mm-hmm. uh, where uh, God not only sets his electing love, like positively uh, predestines some unto salvation, but in a, a symmetrical way sets his reprobation on the unbelievers who are going to hell uh, or work sin into their heart. And so people who adopt that sort of theology often say things like it's irresponsible or even sinful to preach the gospel to a room full of people that you don't know because, in fact, some of those people may be reprobate and shouldn't hear the gospel as a genuine offer of salvation. And I said that's absolutely not biblical. Uh, Right, right. uh, you know, there there is, I think, the, one of the straw men that sometimes uh, an Arminian has a mind of a Calvinist is that they're a person that uh, doesn't care about missions or evangelism. Right. Uh, Sharing the gospel with their friends and neighbors and all that. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah. And while that's 
true of a, a hyper-Calvinist, absolutely. I, I don't think it is true of a Calvinist. Uh, and if, uh, if our emphasis on God's sovereignty ever starts to lead us in the direction where it's robbing us of evangelistic zeal, then, like, we know we're, we're getting to the outer limit real quick. Yeah. Uh, that, that's, that's God forbid that we go there. Yeah, theology should not result in disobedience to clear commands in Scripture. Absolutely. There's yes. the expectation that we're preaching the gospel to all people, right? Yes. Like, yes. That, yeah. Uh, but on the other side, uh, I think there is, uh, you know, Augustine, uh, famous, started wrestling with these issues very early in church history. Was there was a, a man that he was, Pelagius, that he was mm-hmm. debating at the time. And uh, Pelagius had... Uh, some ideas about <laughs> about uh, people, and uh, sometimes not so much Pelagius, but Pelagianism uh, mm. is described basically as uh, you know the belief that a person is uh, or can essentially be good, yeah. Uh, yeah. a denial of total depravity, and uh, so uh, a Pelagian would certainly, uh, I think deny a, a biblical view of sin and essentially, uh, you know, we're unwinding the need for Christ if we begin to adopt a Pelagian view. Yeah, because we're morally neutral, if you will. We can choose the right thing in our own strength. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, I think the reason that Christ had to come is because we're not morally neutral. We are totally depraved. Hmm. And to your point, as far as straw men on, on the Calvinist side, there is a tendency to look across there and say all Arminians believe that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, while there are maybe some confusing differences between the operating effects of pervenient grace and Pelagianism, I think there are also some very, very important distinctions yep. where an Arminian would say it's God's grace that... Uh, makes a person uh, maybe more like they're morally neutral, as you yeah. said. Uh, a Pelagian would absolutely say, well, God's grace isn't necessary in order for a person to become morally neutral. Hmm. Very good. And so so basically what you're saying, we got the, we got these falling off the bandwagon on either end of the spectrum, that is outside of the spectrum of what would be orthodoxy. Is there anything else that isn't necessarily the typical understanding here that might be heresies to keep an eye out for on this subject? Yeah, I think, uh, I w- well, maybe even, uh, it would be, I would say it's heresy, uh, that, uh, you know, there is a, a branch of theology today uh, that uh, is, I think, so intent on preserving a notion of radical free will you know, that I am able to make, I have the power of contrary choice. Yeah. Uh, that they would deny, they would embrace open theism. They would yeah. deny uh, that God can foreknow the future because the future hasn't happened yet. Yeah. Uh, uh, a great example of that would be Clark Pinnock, uh, who famously denies that God can foreknow things yeah. uh, because he's so intent on preserving his notion of radical free will. And 
So, uh, like I said, I think, I think this is a very important discussion because there are all kinds of practical implications. Or maybe another way of saying that is when you come to a point like election, when there are so many different areas of theology overlapping, if your uh, perspective gets just a little bit twisted, it's probably going to work itself out in other areas of theology too, right? So for Pinnock, questions about election ultimately led to him revising his understanding of who God actually is, and that's pretty evident in his writings over the years. You yeah. can see how his understanding of God changed uh, as a result of this conversation. Mm. And I think that's uh, it's certainly capable, or anyone is capable of doing that, or allowing a difficult question like this to flesh itself out in other, other areas of theology, which I think is why it's so important that we preserve both the responsibility and God's sovereignty together, even though there does seem to be some tension there, because uh, without one of those two things, we're probably going to start moving in a direction that's very dangerous. Mm. But I, I would say generally, I don't know that it's heretical, I would say generally, uh, you know, we uh, we have such a high view of God and such a strong impulse to protect our notion of God's sovereignty that we might begin to deny things that Bible, the Bible is actually saying about the will of a person, or we might have such a high view of our own free will that we begin to deny things that the Bible is plainly saying about the sovereignty of God. And I don't know that we necessarily have to get out into heresy before we start to uh, mm. move on a dangerous trajectory. And I'd say that's uh, something, you know, pastorally very concerned about is, uh, you know, that we have a responsibility uh, to submit ourselves to Scripture and the impulse to protect God's sovereignty or the impulse to protect man's responsibility, uh, those are good impulses, but uh, because sin is as devious as it is, mm. even a good impulse to protect a biblical theme can begin to get warped in such a way that we start to deny other biblical themes. Mm. Very good. Very good. And uh, you're obviously moving the direction I, I, I want to make sure we wrap up the conversation with. We we have a tendency to think, uh, listeners, if we haven't lost you at this point in all the <laughs> theological discussion, um, some of you that are still hanging on are going, okay, at what point do we talk about how this impacts my life? What is the relevance of this to my life? You've hinted at it a couple of times, Brad. Um, but how does this impact the way we live? Why is this important to remember? Well, I think it absolutely... I, I, I don't mean to be... <laughs> unspecific, but it affects everything. Mm. Like, it affects uh, the way I think about myself. It affects the way I understand my own struggle with sin. It affects the way I understand who God is and the nature of my worship. I, like, if I'm, <coughs> if I'm worshiping God as I imagine him to be and not as Scripture actually reveals him, then how compelling is my worship really? Mm. Like, how delighted is uh, God by me worshiping something that he's told me he's not? Hmm. And well, I'd say in, in everywhere, I think specifically uh, some, some things 
just right off the bat. And it, uh, it does give us cause for praise, as we said in Ephesians. Uh, but even my understanding of how God's promises work. Mm. Uh, you know, if if I do have a radical free will, if I am able to choose A or B, then how could God have certain knowledge of the future? How how would prophecy work? Yeah. Uh, maybe more personally, how could God make promises if he doesn't have <laughs> a, a knowledge before the beginning of time of what the future will look like? Like, yeah. uh, you know, the way I answer these questions uh, definitely affects the the degree to which I think God can be trusted to make the promises that God makes. Mm. And I think that's especially important as I suffer. Uh, mm. You know, I'm talking about it coming up in Romans 8 and 9, and the pretext for that in Romans 8 is like that God is causing all things to work together for the good of those who love him. Mm. Right? Like, we cling to that promise and Paul connects that promise that God is causing all things to work together for good. God has everything, even whether or not I believe in mm. the palm of his hand, like that God is in control of all things. So even in the midst of my suffering, even as creation is groaning, I can have every confidence that I am in God's control. And, and certainly I think in evangelism, and, and probably personally, uh, that was one of the starkest effects that I noticed, that prior to really, I think, uh, embracing a more biblical notion of election, uh, I understood my evangelistic efforts very much to depend on me. Hmm. Like, I had to memorize every apologetic argument. I had to, you know, I couldn't start a conversation with the person on the plane unless I was prepared to win the debate yeah. uh, because whether or not they believe depended on how well I presented the gospel and how yeah. well I articulated belief. Uh, and now, <laughs> I well, I, I hope that I'm able to give a reason for the hope that is in me, and I, I very much try to be able to articulate my faith well to those who don't believe. I also very much understand that their belief is not ultimately my responsibility. My responsibility is to present the gospel to them, and God's Spirit will work in their heart to mm. bring them to belief. And so understanding that a person coming to belief isn't on me, but I have some responsibility by, <laughs> by God's grace. He's chosen to use us according to his purpose, and I have a responsibility to obey his commands. Yeah. But the ultimate effectiveness of my obedience depends on the operation of the Spirit of God, mm. not on my cleverness. Mm. What, a, what a good reminder, to be sure. And that, that should inspire evangelism, <laughs> which is a good reminder uh, for us as well. Uh, well, listeners, we are, we are way into this at this point, and hopefully it's been illuminating. Hopefully it hasn't gotten you stuck too much in the weeds. We, we know there's so much more. I mean, the reason, the reason so many church history discussions on this have filled page after page after page is because you can't solve it in one podcast. And so, listeners, we realize there's a lot more to this. Um, if you've got more questions, we'd encourage you to send those in to us um, at bradm at fbclnk.org. Tom and I will do our best to address those as they come in if you do have questions. Uh, but let me attempt to try and summarize just a little bit of what we've scratched the surface on here. 
Um, Brad has highlighted this doctrine of election that we find in Scripture, this idea of God's choice and calling of us for His glory, um, our salvation being a result of that. Obviously, you talked about Romans 8, 9, and 10. You talked about Ephesians 1 and 2, um, though the examples of it are <laughs> all over Scripture as a reality. Um, obviously, we've got these major kind of dividing lines within orthodoxy, this Arminian position, this Calvinist position. I'm not going to go back through all of that, but those different points and what they mean. Um, some of the things to be watching for within the heretical area, though, is this hyper end of either spectrum, hyper Calvinism, where you basically deny any sense of free will and you jettison that for God's sovereignty, or the other end of the spectrum, where you deny God's sovereignty for the sake of absolute free will on the part of mankind, which can even lead you down the road of open theism, the idea that you don't know what the future holds, that God doesn't know what the future holds, uh, that is. And then I I love your reminder, your your takeaways here, because it essentially breaks down to the doctrine of election should serve as an inspiration for worship in the lives of believers. It should cause us to worship God for who He is. It should be a comfort to us as believers of the security and the hope that we have in Christ. And it should be a motivation for evangelism, this, this dire, desire to share with those that are elected, they would hear and respond to God on the gospel. Any, any final thoughts or encouragements for our listeners, Brad, as we wrap up this discussion? Yeah, I think on the, on the practical side, I, I hope that... Uh, we're understanding like that this is a very, very practical thing. You know, like mm-hmm. in Second Peter 2, he says, confirm your calling and election, and everything around that is about the way that we live. Yeah. Right? That uh, this is a truth that transforms lives. Yeah. The gospel is a truth that transforms lives. Amen, to be sure. Uh, let me let me wrap up before we move into this coming Sunday. Let me just wrap up. I ran into a quote a while back from Archibald Brown. It's an older older quote, so bear with me. But I, I love the way he frames out this and the encouragement it to us. He says this: There are times when I would not, for all the world, be without the doctrine of God's electing love. Oh, if you have ever done business on the great waters of soul depression, I can understand some of you sneering at it. But if you have not known, or but if you have known what it is to be wiped out and to feel what an utterable sinner you are, you will thank God that when he loves, he finds the reason for his love in himself and not in you. Uh, I find it a really good encouragement, his words to us on this doctrine that's hard to understand, um, but one we need to discuss and one we need to research in Scripture. And that's it for this week's episode. Hopefully it's been helpful to you. Um, Let me remind you that this coming Sunday, we will be shifting gears a bit as we move into our new sermon series on the book of Hebrews. We'd encourage you to join us as Tom will be back in the pulpit starting that new sermon series. Uh, So we'd love to have you here at our 9 o'clock or 1030 services. And... uh, that's it for this week's episode. Um, if it's been helpful to you, uh, just remember you can always rate it, you can always comment on it, or you can always share it with somebody else to help them find it. And we hope you join us again next week for Midweek in the Word. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. To learn more about Faith Bible Church, please visit our website at www.faithbiblelincoln.org. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for Faith Bible Church, Lincoln, Nebraska, or on Twitter at the handle at FBC Lincoln. As for this week, we'll leave you with Paul's words to Timothy. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith.